I got yeah. shit to do. Gotta, gotta raise these onions, bitch. <laughs> you know who else has to raise onions? Who? Hey there, everybody. <laughs> Welcome back <laughs> to Pixel It. That was the best no. one so far. <laughs> that was the best one so far. My name is Kevin. Alongside with me, as always, is Phil. Hello. And uh, today we have a very special episode uh, for y'all. We are talking to author William C. Dietz, the writer of Halo the Flood. He's going to be on the show talking to us, us two podcasters. Uh, yeah, two schmucks about, with microphones. And, about yeah. how that book happened. And uh, I, I think uh, I think he answered some some pretty interesting questions, don't you think? I was, yeah, he was, he was a very informative, very knowledgeable, really stoked to be here. Uh, he, he was so generous with his time and, and it was, uh, it was terrific to, to actually be able to put the person to, uh, the book that we talked about for five hours. Yeah, exactly. So it was, it was good to put a, a face and a voice to the to the name and the words of the book. Um, he he confirmed some suspicions that we yes. we've had we have and have had uh, out loud, not just about this book, but previous books uh, that we've read. Yes, uh, regarding um, regarding involvement of others. Let's just say <laughs> yes in the Adaptation. writing process. In, in the adaptation process. Um, so uh, I think it's a fun conversation. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll uh, we'll we'll talk to you. Uh, we'll talk to you next week um, with what are we doing next week? Oh, we got Ninja Gaiden. With yeah, our next good week friend, we got Ninja Gaiden. With our with our good friend Aaron Hess from Oops All Monsters. So hell yes. So this is, is going to be a really good episode. <laughs> yes. Yes. All right. Well, take care, everybody, and uh, enjoy the interview. Have fun. Yeah. Thanks for thanks for jumping on. This is this is, well, this yeah, is really cool. Know, uh, I think I kind of mentioned to Kevin and, you know, that, uh, you know, there's a thing in, in the writing community uh, has been for a long time that right work for hire, you know, mm-hmm. is is not thought of highly in literary circles. It's, you know, it's scut work uh, in the view of many. And, um, but uh, I disagree. Um, you know, I think that it's uh, participation typically and some kind of an effort that a whole bunch of people have already been involved in and they've created something cool and it's a lot of fun and it's very creative to, you know, add your little touch to it. Yeah. And, uh, I don't see that as being uh, in some way, you know, scut work. No, no. It, it makes me think a little bit about uh, it makes me think of uh, like pulp novels, you know, where it at the time it was, you know, it's pulp. It was very, you know, right. wham, bam, thank you, ma'am style writing. But nowadays, uh, you know, the authors, you know, H.P. Lovecraft, Robert E. Howard, people like that are legends now. That's right. Um, so it, Absolutely. yeah, it. It makes it, it's really in the eye of the beholder. It is. I mean, the line between a Heinlein science fiction novel and the kind of thing you're talking about is very thin, you know, and it, it's very easy to go across the line and 
and go to pulp, but it's also easy to do something without knowing it that's really great. You know, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I totally so, agree. Yeah. Well, let's just so, get into it then. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We got some questions. Actually, I mean, based on what we're just talking about right now, maybe for our listeners, like, explain a little bit about the work for hire process, what the, how that differs uh, from sure. just sitting down and writing a book. Well, you know, so um, a typical book, and that's what I do, is is uh, typical books. And I've written like more than 60 novels at this point. Um, a typical book for a publishing company like, let's say, Penguin, uh, who I worked for for 30 years, is a deal where, you know, you pitch an idea. Uh, and uh, if, uh, if they like it, um, they say, hey, that sounds pretty interesting. Give us some more depth on that. You do an outline, you do a treatment, you talk to your editor and so on. Uh, eventually that turns into a contract and um, you sign it and you get some money up front and you go write the book and then you turn it in and hopefully it does well. And, uh, but everything in that book is determined, the content of the book is determined by you. The cover of the book, the, um, you know, way it's edited, the typography, all of that is determined by the publisher. Mm -hmm. Work for hire is different from that model in that um, what you're doing is you are being hired, like you might hire a brick mason to build a wall, you're being hired to, uh, to do a job. And uh, that you're building job- building a wall of words. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> perfect. Text. Perfect. Exactly. That's 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 a really good uh, simile. So, uh, and because you're a, a workman or work workwoman, as the case may be, um, the terms of the contract are basically do what we say and deliver a certain kind of product at a certain time for a certain price, and please be on time and all of that, you know, uh, and um, so that's one thing that makes it different is, is that they're telling you what to write. You're not, you know, coming up with that on your own. They're basically, usually in early meetings, they're saying, okay, Bill, we've now got, we brought you aboard to write this novel, and, um, but here's what we have in mind, you know, and then they pitch you with whatever it is, except it's not a pitch in the sense that I can say no. <laughs> yeah, right, right. It's, just, it's a description, really, of how they want me to take their character, their universe, and all of that, and and uh, right. you know, work with it. So, um, so that makes it a lot different. And uh, another thing that makes it different is is that instead of uh, working all by yourself, and you know, wherever you like to work. Um, you're working in an environment, it may be virtual, but you nonetheless, you're working in an environment where you're part of a team. Mm. Ah, right. And so, right. you know, let's take uh, Halo the Flood as an example of that. So, uh, uh, you know, the Bungie team uh, at that time, you know, had whatever number, let's just say 15 people. I don't know what it really was, but let's, but that's yeah. something in that area. Yeah, yeah. And, um, <clears throat> These people had already, when I came on the scene, put out two games uh, that were very successful. They um, had a subculture, like you do at work, right? You know, right. and there's personalities, and there's people with talents, and 
and there's people with flaws and there's all of that. And, um, you know, so you're walking into a team situation because we're all human beings and there's a lot of nuance and a lot of stuff. And you're trying to learn very quickly, uh, particularly if you get to meet face to face, which I did in the case of Halo the Flood, because Bungie was up here right outside Seattle and I live in that area. So, you know, I could go see them directly. But, you know, you uh, in that kind of a, of a thing, though, you start to run into this um, not only a culture, but a shared understanding of the project that you don't have. Mm-hmm. So you walk in the door and you say, hey, here I am. And boy, it's fun to be here. And I have seven great ideas, you know, right. and you roll those out. And I'm not dumping on Bungie here. I'm just using them as an example. Yeah, of course. They go, you know, well, I don't like that first one. The Master Chief would never do that. And then, you know, I don't like the second one. The covenant doesn't work that way. And I don't like the third one, you know, and sure. and so on. And you, you know, um, and that's the deal. As work for hire, they are right. You are wrong. And you need to accept <laughs> that. You have to come <laughs> humbly to the situation. That's really, you know, uh, Kevin and I both went to grad school uh, together. We uh we were we met in a uh, uh, TV writing class, ah. and uh, one of the things they told us when we were writing uh, spec scripts is they said if you have your heart set on a certain TV show that you want to write for, don't write an episode of their show because they already have in mind everything, exactly. and they'll be able to pick every good idea you have apart. But another TV show might look at that and go, "Oh, this is a great episode." I'll, uh, I ought to tell them about you or something like that. Um, That's right on. I think that was good advice. Did you have any preconceived uh, uh, ideas about the Halo universe that they just shot down beforehand, or did you kind of go into it fresh? Well, yes and no. So like, can we back up for a second? Do you yeah, want to talk yeah, about how sure. I even got involved? And then yeah, yeah. Nice. <laughs> yeah, please go right ahead. <laughs> so at the time, um, you know, this all went down in 2002. Um, you know, I had, uh, you know, a reputation for writing military science fiction. And so that qualified me, you know, I guess in their eyes and, um, you know, and so, uh, I, I got a call from my agent indicating that, that there was this possibility of this work and it was this thing called Halo of the Flood. And I said, I've never heard of it and I never had. Uh, and he said, well, it's supposed to be a really cool property and it's going to be really great. And, uh, but it's not, you know, you're not writing a novel, you're writing a novelization. Well, I knew what that meant. Uh, (laughs) and that's something too, your listeners might be interested to kind of sort out for themselves is this, uh, notion that, you know, uh, uh, a novel for hire is like, you're inside a universe that somebody owns, but you're allowed to create something fresh, a novel right. from start to finish. But right. a novelization is taking the game, in this case, Halo of the Flood, and simply turning the game into a novel. And I'll come yeah. back to that in a minute. That's like considered by literary people to be even one step lower, than, you know, scum. That's like the scum that lives under the scum. You know? Right. <laughs> so, um, so that's not considered to be a, a real thing that you want to, you know, advertise with your 
with your career typically, but, but I do. Sure. Uh, anyway, so uh, I got this thing, you know, from my agent and I said, well, I need to think about it, you know, and, and particularly given that, that he already knew that the uh, timeline was going to be basically three months. And, you know, typically even a fast, I'm a pretty fast writer. That just is my nature. Uh, and I often write a book in half a year, but three months is really, really that's a lot. no joke. That, that's crazy. <laughs> and so um, I went to the source of all knowledge where games are concerned, which is the GameStop in my neighborhood, right? <laughs> Nice. And I, you know, go to the to the guy behind the counter who's got the long hair, the tattoos, and all the requisite stuff going. And I said, you know, um, I've been asked to work on a project called Halo: The Flood. And I said, you know, is that game any good? He goes, Oh, dude, that game is fabulous. We can't we can't even keep copies here. I mean, it just flies off the shelf, and people love it and everything, you know. And I thought, okay, well, you know. If the guy at GameStop loves it, then, you know, it People must like be it. Yeah. 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 So that's all the research I did there. I went, <laughs> back. <laughs> I went back and I, and I said that, um, I said that I would do it. And so now coming back to your original question, there were meetings off the top with the team to kind of establish what was what and what the tone was, what they were looking for and all of that. And um, they were looking for a straight-on novelization of the um, of the game, and I said I can't. I just cannot get completely there. I said, "Is there any opportunity for you know me to inject new material in the cutscenes?" Mm. You guys, you know, um, have a background in uh, television writing, so you know what a cutscene is. Mm -hmm. But it's that you know point where everything dips to black, and um, you know time passes, and the um, computer technology that runs games, you know, rewinds itself, so to speak, and gets ready for the next level of the game. And um, I said, right there at those, at those points, it's a natural place where I could introduce characters that don't exist in the books and, you know, and, and give a different perspective, maybe, you know, take the point of view of some covenant, you know, uh, characters and, and mm -hmm. so on, none of which had been done up to that point. And I said, I really need that in order to do this project. Otherwise, it's just mind-numbing, you know, craziness to just grind my way through and, you know, say, and then he turned the corner and drew his <laughs> pistol and then he shot, you know, all yeah. of that. So <clears throat> they, you know, uh, to their credit, I think, they, they said, yeah, okay. Obviously, we want to approve what you do uh, and we don't want you can't kill off the chief and, you know, sure. stuff like that, obviously. Uh, but, um, but go for it and let's, let's see, you know, how that turns out. And so, um, I did, and it depends, you know, so you can go online, look at the reviews and some people say, look at the novel and, you know, on Amazon and their reviews say, this is a piece of crap. It's just, a, <laughs> just a, you know, retelling of the game. If you've played right. the game, you don't need the book, but then other people do give me credit for having inserted the additional stuff and yeah. they clearly enjoyed it. And I would say that if you look at the Halo games now, some of the things um, that I put in there like politics between the different 
alien species mm -hmm. and each other, you know, that, uh, the emphasis on Marines and that whole thing. Um, you know, some of those things I think I can claim a little bit of credit for and, um, and here yeah. I am claiming it. So, you know, just... <laughs> no, and it's, it, uh, and that's the thing. That's kind of actually where we landed as we were reading through the book and, and kind of recapping it episode by episode. We, um, we loved this basically any scene that didn't have master chief in it we were like this is great <laughs> and, <laughs> Thank and, you. and then when we when we when it got to master chief he's like well this is basically this is just what you do in the game this and the game. it's right. and and that's one of the things with that we found is that when you have a game like the things that he does in the game are thrilling and interesting for game's sake but when you're reading them, they become less so only because it's like, well, there's no, he, it almost feels like there's no stakes, <laughs> you know, right. for, for him. But for all the other characters, you have McKay, you have even Yayap, who became our favorite character favorite of all time. <laughs> we loved my Yayap. favorite character, too. <laughs> it, it, it was, we loved it. We Every time we had a Yayap section, it was like, all right, we're back with Yayap. What's happening next? It's great. And, uh, we loved it. You can, you, can, you can see that character. Uh, have you guys played Halo Infinite? Yeah. No. no. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, when you play it, which I assume you will at some point, eventually, you know, yeah, uh, you'll notice that you know all of those little grunts running around. They share a certain common characteristics with the original, you know, <laughs> absolutely. And, and then, you know, it it works well to this day. And oh, um, that's you know, amazing. So at least that's my subjective opinion. Yeah, but I'm glad you guys like that. It was um, something that that um, meant a lot to me. Well, that really is the challenge, isn't it? You know, when you're now to get the main plot line of the game, did you uh, play through it yourself? Did you watch a playthrough? How did, or both, you know, how did you go with that? That's a really great question, Phil. The, uh, you know, so like I said, I'd never heard of it. So the first thing I had to do is buy an Xbox. And the second thing I had to do was to, um, you know, play through the game, as you suggested, just to see if I could get through. How hard was it to get through, you know? Right. So I started out like on normal and, you know, which I was used to playing. And then I thought, no, this is stupid. What you want to do is go on easy so that, you know, you can just yeah. see the outlines of everything, pay more attention to the flow and so on than right. the actual action. Do that first and then play it on normal and, <laughs> you know, and, and, uh, and ramp it up. So I did that. And then the really hard part came where uh, having got the feel for it and understanding how it works and all of that, I had to go through, you know, and actually write down, um, you know, everything that happened. So, you know, mm -hmm. like a little bit stop and say, you know, and then the master chief went up over the hill and wow, then suddenly there was this construct there and, you know, mm -hmm. there was a great blue light around it and a spaceship, you know. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. yeah. And we, we actually had a specific moment that we talked about in the game where Master Chief is sniping people from a distance. Right. Uh, he's sniping Covenant from a distance. And then he's lost track. He's got blinders on, basically. Loses track of what's right around him and basically gets jumped on by some jackals or something along those lines. And I, and I said to Kevin, I said, 
that happened to me when I was playing the game. Do you suppose that happened to him when he was playing it? <laughs> but that's one of the interesting things. We all know this, of course, because we've played a lot of games. But yeah. um, there's enough variation in what could happen to you in that game that, you mm-hmm. know, that might have happened to you or might not. Sure. You know, yeah, absolutely. And that's that. That's helpful. So the version that that people saw of the game was the one that happened to me, but they probably experienced it slightly differently. You know, right? We found, yeah, we found out. So, all right, so it was three months to turn around eighty five thousand words. Is that what the contract yeah, said? That's, that's what the contract called for. I sent you that little snippet. I yeah, yeah. Now, that have you have you uh, do you find that in other? Uh, work for hire jobs similar to this one, maybe in the video games industry that that kind of follows around. That's about right. As far yeah, as about 85 to 90,000 is very typical. You know, mm. I like, I, I wrote a Hitman novel, which was not a novelization. It was a novel. Mm-hmm. It was about that long. Mm. And um, for example, but in, but the, in three months, no, no. That, <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah, no, no, no. no, I think I, I think I had six months or or maybe even more to write that. And uh, right. Yeah, but it, it was fun, and that that had its own strange flavorings and everything too. You know. Oh yeah, Hitman's. We we actually I, in the process of uh, looking you up. That was me finding out that you'd written a Hitman novel, and I think that was me finding out there was. A hitman novel. Yeah. So I was like, all right, we better put that on the list. <laughs> Bill, did you have series. any Bill, did you have any contact or, or discussion with uh Eric Nyland who, who yeah. Wrote, yeah. Absolutely. No, I know Eric or I haven't okay. seen him in years. I used to see him all the time at sure. science fiction conventions, but you know, as you know, we haven't had any science fiction conventions <laughs> in a while. Sadly. Right. Yeah, sadly indeed. But um no, and and you know, he was very much involved in uh, part of the team there yeah. and an important part of the team. And he, uh, of course, wrote uh, Halo, you know, Reach, um, and uh, which was a great book. Everybody loved that book. And it was the precursor for what I did. Right. And, um, you know, so, yeah, he, he did a great job and he'd be a great guy to talk to. He'd be able to give you a lot of that, you know, inside I stuff, you know, about what it was like to be on the team and be writing, uh, you know, a, a novelization at the same time. Yeah, because I was a different look. Yeah, yeah, because I was curious if he yeah. had to provide you because I noticed you had a couple of tie-ins to events that happened in Fall of Reach uh, uh, around the character of Major Silva. Um, yeah. So yeah, it, it it was a it was a neat little thread to follow. Right, um, right. And did they keep some also, sort of a Bible or something? Um, good question. I'm trying to remember. Um, not. I I know they gave me materials. It's been 20 years. I know mm, they gave me materials. Right. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, but not on the scale that that Lucas Films did when I wrote the uh, novellas for Jedi Knight. Mm. Um, you know, oh, I Lord. mean, box after box got shipped to my door art you know got shipped yeah. you know um stuff that i have hanging on my wall which is i could probably sell it at a convention for a lot of money you know probably uh, that's it, uh, you know it uh that was and then they had a bible so strict you know and so right. complicated i mean 
you know, it just covered every single book that had been done, all the movies, fit the whole thing together. You know, it was it was intense. And that sounds about right, because when I talked to David Fox, who uh, was one of the earliest members of Lucasfilm Games and ran the studio briefly, um, he he was talking about how at Skywalker Ranch, they just have they just have material and ma- like oh, yeah. all of this material set aside and even even him just as a, a force of habit. When I when I interviewed him several years ago, he said, oh, yeah, I have photocopies of literally everything I ever did for, for oh, yeah. Lucasfilm that That's he sent me. And, <laughs> and the ranch. I got to go to the ranch, guys. I just. That's oh, awesome. That's too cool. <laughs> <laughs> tell, tell us about the ranch. Tell us about the ranch. Don't leave anything out. <laughs> and. You know, it's great. I, I went with my editor. She flew in from New York, to San yeah. Francisco, and I came down from Seattle. And, uh, you know, and so we rented a car and we drive out there and, and she's navigating and she's saying, so this place doesn't have a sign, Bill. There's no sign. There's no anything. All there is is a black post office box, but, you know, a mailbox. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it had, I forget, some numbers on it. And uh, that's what we have to watch for. And sure enough, up comes this thing, and it looks like you're turning into a driveway, maybe to a trailer home or something like that. And you turn in, and the road gets bigger and everything. And then this this house that Lucas built appears, and then the library next to it, and then the shed, you know, the big buildings where all the computer stuff is going on. That's amazing. Yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. Now, you were talking about the team before. How often... Uh, you know, writing for hire, working with this team, how often would you say you were going in and meeting with them versus just, you know, writing from home or something like that? Yeah, not that often. Um, you know, there was the initial meetings and then it was mostly just from home and, and on the phone and that kind of stuff. Zoom and stuff wasn't what it is today, obviously, 20 years ago. Sure. So there wasn't as much of that kind of, you know, video meeting or whatever. In fact, I'm not sure there were any back then. Um, And, you know, once it was on track, and of course, I had an editor um, back in New York who was tracking what I was doing. And and I, I think I was sharing, you know, stuff as it came out and he was sharing it with them. And so there was some real time editing and checking and feedback and they're telling me, hey, back off on this bill or hey, this is this works. You can keep that. Right. And, uh, you know, so that was that was that was going on. But I have to say that, you know, I came to, to writing late. I, I my first novel was published when I was 40. So I've never been a young man in science fiction. Uh, you hear that, Kevin? I got eight months. I got eight, <laughs> you months. eight months, Phil. <laughs> and I'll be on the same well, schedule as Bill you here. Because, you know, like I had promised myself when I was in my 20s that I would write a book, but I got to be 39. I hadn't started. And I sat down and wrote the book. I said, I got to keep that promise to myself. I'll write the book. It won't get published, but I'll write the book. So I wrote the book and I sent it in and uh, Ace bought it. The first t- place I sent it, the first time I sent it. Holy so, cow. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. And it, wasn't, it wasn't because I was really, really, you know, great uh, that I was some amazing author. Um, a couple of years later, I was having uh, lunch with my then editor at Ace Books. And by that time we knew each other. And, you know, so she felt she could say this to me, you know, she said, 
I was recounting how wonderful it was when I sold that book. And she said, well, you know, the thing about that book was, Bill, it wasn't that great a book, but we needed some of that shit right at that time. You know? <laughs> <laughs> right place, right time. I'll take need. it. <laughs> take it, baby. <laughs> I love it. So, yeah, I got no respect. But uh, None. anyway. Hey, man, you're the one who decided you wanted to write sci-fi. We can't. There's that's just an ingrateful fan base. <laughs> but so um, anyway, we we digress. Oh, I got a good I got a question for you. Yeah. We're, are Without without breaking any uh, NDAs or anything like that, uh, uh, were, was there anything that you wanted to put in the book that they just came down on hard and just went? No, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. That's a good question. Um, I don't, you know, I don't remember them saying, uh, you know, no to any of my little segments, but I remember them giving guidance about aspects of those things that they liked Mm -hmm. and didn't like. I don't remember all the refinements of that, but uh, um, I, I think the one thing that bugged me that I felt badly about, you know, was the end of, hail the flood as you know they blow the ring up and they told me everybody that you create in these um, interstitial spaces for lack of a better description uh, is going to have to die when the ring blows up and I Mm. you know I didn't like that yeah well we're we're still holding out hope that yeah yeah like pulled a Boba Fett somehow and crawled out of the, the pit and maybe he did. You just never, get some one shots. You never know. I think I think I I'm I'm keeping my fingers crossed. Yeah, that's, and, that's, and and uh, and that's something that we 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 agreed with was that it was because it was it was such a nice dramatic arc with all of these interstitial characters, and then it ends up that they kind of have to have a a quick. Like their loose ends have to get tied up really quickly at the end as Master Chief exactly. is basically finishing everything up. So it was a it was a bargain that I had to agree to if I wanted yeah. to have that additional sure. material, and I thought it was worth it. So sure. But, well, in a way, it kind of frees you up, doesn't it? You know, because whatever choices you make, and it it all just kind of the slate's wiped clean in the end. So it's true, and of course, you know, to the extent that you. Do that, and this is something that probably people who um, read the the novel and played the game probably didn't think about. But but from a strategic aspect, a writing aspect, which you guys would understand, um, you know, in a in a story, if you kill off a few people that that folks like, it really adds a certain amount of you know suspense and and yeah. tension and and um, all of that to the book because they go, this crazy son of a gun will kill anybody off in this book. You know, <laughs> sure. So, I mean, you ask, don't know what's coming, you know. Ask, so. uh, ask George R. R. Martin. He's the... Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Lord, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, yes. I... <laughs> I actually remember when uh, R.A. Salvatore killed uh, Chewbacca and and uh, what was it? Net, uh, Prime. Oh right, it was one of the later books, one of the new Jedi uh, Order books. Yeah. But yeah, he Vector uh, Prime, Vector Prime. Yeah, he, he had a planet. Go. He had a planet crush Chewbacca. That's... Yeah, the only way you could kill that furry <laughs> son of a bitch, you had to crush him with a moon, man. 
<laughs> yeah, that that was that was that was a that was a turning point with certain geeks. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, you know, none of us bought that. So, <laughs> so what, what are any any other difficulties of adapting a video game to a novel that you didn't run into with the other adaptations? Well, um, sometimes, and I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm not going to, I, I wrote one, you know, that I'm not going to get into because I don't want to name names here. Sure. Of course. You know, all that. Yeah. But I mean, sometimes the companies, uh, they'll be the, the person who's kind of the owner of the franchise, you know, the, the big boss or whatever, uh, is exerting so much control that, you know, that they're basically telling you how to do everything and they're not satisfied with anything they haven't done and so on. And, uh, you know, that just, that, that really can kill something. That's one possibility. Right. And, you know, another one is where you sign on and I'm thinking of a different book. Now you sign on to do, you know, something and, um, they give you orders and we were talking about kill off characters. They give you orders to kill somebody off and to accomplish certain things for their overarching plot. You do that and all of their fans go crazy, you know, yeah. and spend like the next your idea. Months, yeah. Uh, send the, spend the next six months flaming you as a result. Right. So, you know, there are dangers, you know, definitely. Yeah. Uh, I, I didn't even think about that, that one of the inherent challenges is the fan base. Right. Yeah. You got to keep everybody works. happy. Yeah, absolutely. They, they can get really, really up in your grill without a doubt. Okay. I absolutely believe that. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the other challenges of writing when you're older um, is, and I've had this experience, I wrote um, two or three novels in the Resistance series that Sony had, the Resistance games, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and which I liked a lot. I I love first person shooters and, and uh, those were, really good per first person shooters. I don't know why Sony hasn't brought those back via steam or via, mm-hmm. you know, Microsoft's new yeah. online, you know, service. I mean, those, those deserve to be preserved, but, um, but anyway, uh, sometimes you get so involved and you become such an expert because you were hired to do these books that amazing things happen. I wound up, co-writing a game for Sony based on the, you know, a resistance game. That's just awesome. because I'd read these books and I knew it so well. And I was always correcting people on the team. And yeah. Going, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I know it's awesome. better than you at that point. Exactly. Yeah. But, but that isn't where I was going. Where I was going to go was I remember that team, you know, I, I went to meet with them off the top when I was first hired and you walk into the room and at that time, I think I was in my 60s and everybody goes, you just see all these faces there. Everybody in there is under 30 and they're all going, <laughs> who brought grandpa to the party? What, you know, what in the world is going on here? You know, and so you have to you have to you have to do a good job to overcome. Yeah. You know, the, the built in. Well, uh, what are you playing now? Right now, I'm playing Far Cry Five. Oh, nice! That's Phil's favorite that game. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, uh, you know, I, 
for a long time, this is this, you know, it's so crazy for a long time. I, I love first person shooters. And for a long time, I'd be in the game store, I'd be online and I'd see like the cover art for Far Cry 2. And I thought, that looks sucky. I mean, it just didn't look that great to me. Uh, but, but finally, out of desperation, because there was only so many first person shooters around, um, you know, I, uh, I gave it a try. And I fell in love with that game, you know, I mean, because uh, it really allows you to use stealth, which yep. I enjoy. I'm not a guy who loves to always just go in guns blazing. And sure. I'm not, I don't try to get through games, the, you know, in half an hour, play the whole game through in half right. an hour, an hour and set a record or something. I don't, right. I don't care about that. Uh, and so, um so I not only did I play it, I played it like three times, and then I said, "You need to stop this, <laughs> you know, and, and move on." So I thought, "Well, I'll try another Far Cry Far Cry game," and so I tried uh, I tried five, and I'm enjoying it a lot. It's uh, you know the Far Cry games have a really for me. I'm I'm not the brightest soul when it comes to the games, and they have a a steep learning curve for me, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, mm-hmm. like sometimes I'm going, what, how do you do this? You know, what's the, you know, I don't understand this point system or this thing or that thing, but, but, um, you know, eventually I figure it out about, yeah, and it's, it's a learning curve, but they get you there eventually. If they yeah. get you there. And so I'm having a great time with it now. I got, I got the learning curve behind me. So that's great. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We uh, that was actually one of was that the third book we read? The third we read book the we Far covered Cry was Far Cry Absolution. Oh, which cool! Is a, Who a wrote prequel? that? Yeah. Urban Weight. Oh, okay. It was terrific. Very Cormac McCarthy. Really, it, really like oh, it's a okay. it's a prequel well, I, to Far Cry Five. Yeah, yeah. I haven't I haven't played uh, that game. What enabled me to play Five was is that I got a new computer. You know, my old computer oh, couldn't yeah. anything past two. Just didn't yeah. have enough processing power, enough speed, you know, yeah, memory yeah. and all that. So, beyond gaming influences, that sort of thing. What, who, who, uh, who are your authors? Who are your guys? Who you, uh, who influenced you the most? Well, you know, I'd break them into two sets. You know, I, I was a huge uh, Heinlein fan as a kid. You know, and Asimov, and you know, and just you know, all the all the greats. You know, Dick. Uh, you know, on and on. Um, you know, I would say since I'm a military science fiction writer, um, I was a huge and am a huge, uh, Dave Drake fan. Mm-hmm. Um, and Dave and I actually, I got invited at one point to co-write a book with Dave, which was a big thrill. Oh, he wow. Was, yeah. He was just such a generous man. And, um, I was in the service during Vietnam, but I didn't go. He was in the service Vietnam and he went, I uh, was a tanker. Um, and you know, if you know anything about the war in Vietnam, you guys are too young, but, uh, they had this highway 101 or whatever it was that ran through the middle of, you know, Vietnam and the tanks couldn't really go anywhere except up and down this highway. (laughs) And, you know, so that's where they spent a huge amount. That's where Dave spent a huge amount of his time and so on is going up and down that highway, I believe. But, um, so, um, so I like that kind of, I like that kind of book. I like Campbell. I like, you know, a lot of the people who work for Bain cause they're all military science fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I should be able to think of more names right now, but 
you know. Yeah, well, it's yeah. Like, it's um, a good lineup. It's a very good lineup. Yeah. <laughs> Are you uh, you working on anything right now? Anything in particular? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm writing um, uh, a series. I'm on book seven of a series called Winds of War. And you know, it's really interesting these days the way the business breaks down into these very specialized subcategories. So this is called Amazon. Came up with this. This is called near. F- near future or alternate near future alternative fiction. So, you know, and they also put it up on the science fiction thing where it doesn't do that well, but in the alternative um, uh, fiction category, uh, it's these books are, are doing very yeah. well. And what makes them a little bit different is they're about a fictional, thank God, fictional world war three Um but instead of the usual thing of following some individual hero or heroine, you know, uh, who goes Tom Clancy style, remember how, you know, his hero was just a CIA guy and then he right. you know, got promoted and then he winds up as president. You're going, what? It's <laughs> <laughs> a jump. <laughs> hey, what the hell happened there? You know, I, I could never get over that. You know, it just really kind of boggled my mind. Well, they but took anyway, the, that they he, took that idea for a TV show later with uh, what was it the uh, Kiefer Sutherland? There's a show called oh, Designated Twenty Four. Yeah, Designated Survivor with Kiefer Sutherland oh, used the oh, same man. idea as as that Tom Clancy novel where uh, what's his face Harrison Ford's character uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, Jack weird. Ryan becomes president. Well, so <laughs> so I didn't want to do that. But I wanted right. to write in the very near future, but just a little bit over the hill, so to speak, just a little bit over the horizon. And uh, so each book is about somebody different, and each book is set in a different place. And yeah. often I change between all the different military um, groups. You know, one will be about the Navy, one will be about the Air Force, one will be about, you know, the Army and so on with different characters. And... Um, People seem, a lot of people seem to like that. It's doing pretty well. With a series that big, you, I mean, you're on the seventh book now. How much pre-planning do you do uh, before you even get started? Well, you know, as you guys know, having, you know, writing, being, having, you know, gone to graduate school and also I can tell, you know, you do your own writing and stuff. There's really two kinds of writers, those who write outlines and those who don't, you know, and uh, <laughs> you're an organic Seat of the pants writers. Who are they? I don't know anything about them. <laughs> so, so you're an organic writer, right, Phil? I mean, that's that's your deal. Absolutely. And, uh, and I get that. And it works for some people. But I'm so insecure. You know, I don't want to just dive in there not not being able to know where I'm going or, you know. Or whatever. If the muse is not, doesn't show up for work, what the hell do I do? You know, so right. uh, so I write an outline. But now I'm going to cop out a bit. You know, I write the outline, but it's it's fairly high level. So that mm. means that day to day, I'm often writing in an organic fashion, um, and uh, you know, I'll, and I'll come back to the outline maybe uh, every five or six days, look at it, see if I'm on track also look sure. ahead and see what i'm doing but it gives me that sense of um i can get this done you know i can get there because i know what the big 
stepping stones towards yeah. uh, the end of the book are. It, it's so just guideposts. It's got yeah. guardrails for you to follow, right. basically. But, you know, as I think Phil would probably testify, you know, the thing about the organic writing is, is that that's when the magic can happen. You know, you haven't planned it. It mm. just, you know, something really good happens and you go with it and you feel it. And uh, it comes from wherever it comes from. I, I don't feel it comes from me. I, that's why I talk about a muse. I, yeah. It's like it comes it's, somewhere. It's definitely the most feast and famine style of writing. You are either like on this role where you're like, oh, I'm a genius. This is the greatest thing I've ever written. Right. Or you're just sitting there staring at a blinking cursor going, oh, I'm terrible. This is the right. worst. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I do think about that. I want to be an outline writer. I really do. I think that would be so much easier if I was like, okay, here's A and B. And my job is to get from there to there. That's so much easier. And I just never bring myself to do it. I just can't do it. It's just jumbled notes hidden in various corners of a notebook. Like that's just, it's it, it, madness. It, only real men can be organic writers. I mean, you know, <laughs> are kind of just wussies who go, no, I need railings. I need rails and crutches. And everything well, else I appreciate it. Phil, do you My think, fiance will Phil, be do you think Bukowski had an outline? No. <laughs> he had no. a whiskey bottle. <laughs> yeah, I, think, I think he had a lot less than that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But anyway, it is a pleasure. I feel, I just can't tell you how much I enjoy writing. I still pop out of bed in the morning and ready to go. And I love doing it. And uh, that's fantastic. Privilege. And I mean, and that's, that's, that's been your life for the past, what, 35 years, something like that. Yeah. Well, you you know, I had a real job, um, you know, being a manager for a big corporation and everything. And I, and I put in my 20 years to get a defined pension. And then I became a full-time writer. So I've only been a full-time writer for about 20 years. Before that, I wrote a book a year um, while having a full-time job and being a dad and all of that. And it can be done. I've written articles yeah, about how to do that's it. That's a smart way to do it. One page a day, Phil. One page a day. One page a day. 365 days and you have a book. Yeah, that that's is true. That is that a is full true. book right Just there. <laughs> that's all you have to do. You know, I might have to, I might actually have to take that challenge. Do it that way. Do it, do it one page a day. That's I believe in you, Phil. Really yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, and you can do it, you know, I, you know, if you've got a day job, you can do it at the boring staff meeting. <laughs> right. <laughs> you can do it on the train. You can do and, it, you know. Whatever. Now that, that we're uh, working remotely uh, for for work, I yeah. mean that's it makes it a that's lot easier. Better. Yeah, because yeah. you can carve it's out pretty good. Carve out some time to yeah. do that. So no excuses, guys. There really is none. There really <laughs> is none. And yet, and yet, <laughs> but, here but we this are. Is where, this is where you could throw it back at me and say, "But what were you doing up till age thirty nine, Bill?" <laughs> <laughs> and I would have to say. Writing television news, writing corporate right. stuff, but not writing fiction. And, and yeah. I, writing, writing other people's stuff. Writing other people's yeah. stuff, yeah. yeah. You have had a very uh, a varied background uh, based on what I've seen. I mean, that, that's got to play into your abilities as a writer, yeah? Just so many things to oh, yeah. draw from. It, it, it certainly helps. I remember <clears throat> when I went to grad school, which I didn't finish, but I 
I got halfway through before my wife and I ran off to Africa. But, you know, halfway um, through is really all you need. Halfway through is good enough, if you ask me. Well, I remember this guy that I always sat next to. Um, you know, he was kind of a young, studly kind of guy. And um, we would talk, and, and he, you know, he told me, and I would say, So, what are you going to do after you finish your, your master's? And he said, Well, I'm going to become a tuna fisherman. And I said, What? Why? He says, Because it'll look good when I write a book, it'll look good on my. On the, the blur, on the about, yeah, the that's, yeah, you know, people love that sexy background. So, yeah. so tuna fisherman turned novelist. He was just going to do it for that reason. That just kind of, <laughs> you know, like. Uh, but anyway, I can't. I can't argue with too much of that motivation. No. I get it. I no, not at all. Get it. <laughs> Let me see. Well, uh, Kevin, you, got, you got anything? You guys there? are podcasters now, and that's very, mm -hmm. you know, very happening. Yeah. So we, can, uh, that goes right on the book cover. So true. 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 We, yeah. I, there is, this is not a, 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 a topic that is heavily covered either. So we're. But, we're, but that's the thing, though. The, yeah. You know, and that is, I mean, we live in a time of mass customization. We live in a time making this up where there's a magazine for left-handed bike, bike riders, you know, yeah, right. um, and you know, it's those micro micro audiences. And basically uh, since I started self publishing on Amazon, that's what I'm finding really works well. Yeah. It's, you know, you're not getting the, uh, the mass market, but you're getting a large mini market. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, people who really like that particular type of thing and like what you're doing. And are willing to you know keep paying for it so that's what uh i remember uh my producing professor i believe it was uh i believe it was professor meyer uh once saying in a class need about ten thousand dedicated fans and you can you have a career the you man career. the man had it right you yeah. know <laughs> yeah i can tell that some of your professors were better than mine <laughs> we had we had a very uh a unique grad school uh uh career it was really? a, that was a good time yeah. <laughs> it was a good time well, I, what i remember of it was pretty good i went to a communication school where very few of my professors had ever done any communicating ah. you know they'd never worked in radio or television or anything they'd you know, they were all theory oriented and that's uh, not that, yeah. that what I was looking for at the all time. All of our all of our professors were were literal Hollywood burnouts as if yeah. <laughs> it had it had serious like, yeah, they were they were ex pros uh, that just couldn't they so, just didn't want to do it. They were just so tired. Right. They were so tired. So you'd get some really practical advice, but maybe sometimes the teaching abilities weren't quite as <laughs> Yeah, right, right. Yeah. Well, I know what you mean there. Definitely. You, when you're twenty-five years old and you come in and realize the professor is every bit as hungover as you are, and you're like, <laughs> Okay, this is grad school. All right. At the time when I was uh, going to grad school, I was also working full time as a uh, TV director at a local television station, directing mm. two evening news shows a day. And so when uh, when I you know became a teaching assistant and they hired me to teach television production, my class could actually go to the studio, crowd into the booth, and watch me get through a live show. Now that's when you actually you know uh, can 
lay claim to having taught something. Yeah, no, I totally agree. That's it's right there. You're doing it right. That's as practical as it gets. Oh, what now? You did mention, uh, to be fair, that resistance was kind of your 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 baby, and this that's like like a a franchise you really enjoyed. Were there any uh, any others that you've worked on that if they called you up tomorrow to work on something for them, you'd say yes without any hesitation? Well, of course, this boat has sailed, but I still love Star Wars. You know, I'm a big Star Wars fan, so I would certainly have to, you know, listen to their story and and so on. But that's not going to happen. Sadly, you know, the number of tie-in books has dwindled a great deal. I mean, there was work there for quite a few people, and now it seems like just, you know, it just has kind of vanished for whatever reason. Sure. Um, but that's certainly one. I I might, you know, entertain Hitman if that if that came up. That was kind of fun to write. It was so different. Mm-hmm. Um, different team. It was a European team. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, and it just had it that caused things to be different in the way that what they would accept and what they wouldn't. I'll give you an example. So I give the um, the Hitman, uh, you know, um, a beamer to drive, you know, and it's a real fancy beamer and everything. And I thought, you know, this is cool. I mean, it's the kind of thing a guy like him would drive, right? I mean, you know, and uh, no, I get this, <laughs> you know, email coming back, you know, bag the beamer. It's a Volvo. Oh. <laughs> Because these guys are over there in Volvo land, you know. Yeah, the, yeah. so that well, so I just I looked it up. To, I had to school myself on Volvos and find out, you know, if there was a sexy <laughs> one. Uh, thanks, Thank Bill. Thank you very much, Bill. It was terrific meeting you. Uh, it's a pleasure meeting you, too. Maybe we'll bump into each other down the line sometime. I hope I'd so. I'd like that. All right. Take care. Once again, we want to thank Bill for coming on the show. If you want more information about his work, please check out his website, williamcdeets.com, or his Twitter, at WCDeets. Links to those will be in the description below. Thanks for listening to Pixel It. Good night, everyone.